This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Updates. Uh, it's been about two years, so I just figured we need to give a quick haircut uh, update from Spooko. Now, Jack, early on in this podcast life, I came out with a very reasonably strong anti-haircut kind of a stance. <laughs> um, we fixed that earlier this year, and I'm now into a get my haircut every 10 to 15 days kind of scenario. Ooh. So, you know, Spooko is about, you know, changing and progressing and all that oh. sort of thing. Um and so that's update one is is you've sort of brought me around. And when I say you, I mean you specifically, but also, you know, at least gave me an insane haircut earlier this year. It goes without saying. And I'm now like, okay, getting getting one's haircut can be okay. So I'm I'm partway there. That's one bit of content on this podcast cast that I get asked about surprisingly moderately is haircutting. The other thing that gets raised mainly by lawyers who follow this podcast is quiet carriage shushing. So Whenever there's any content on LinkedIn where anyone's in public, it's like, oof, if only at James Dapache was here to like, tell everyone to <laughs> shut up in the background. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So, Adrian, appreciate you raising that most, being the most recent person to raise that. Um, and, Jack, I just thought I'd relate my most recent quiet carriage anecdote just to get us rolling. And, and for those that don't know, mm. I, don't, I don't know if this is... It's New South Wales specific, so yeah. I mention it. And then, like, people who follow me from even, like, Victoria or Queensland are like, what is a quiet carriage? Right. So so Peach has a long mm. train journey, long train yep. commute as as part of his uh, some of his work days. And in New South Wales, which is the state we live in where Sydney's mm. the capital, there is a phenomena for country trains, so country link trains that go from Sydney out into the country, where mm. usually it's the first and last carriage are designated a quiet carriage. Now, it's not enforced, but there are signs around basically being like, please be quiet. People use this carriage to either work or sleep or just have, you know, a, like a moment out of their day to day. And because people are assholes, generally people will come onto these carriages and flagrantly disobey the unenforceable rules. Is that, does that kind of sum it up, Pitch? Hugely, yeah. So you'll have a long commute, someone will be talking, and you'll have the uncomfortable thing of like, is anyone <laughs> going to go and talk to this person? And uh, it's, it's often me who does. <laughs> is it and sometimes other people? Very, very occasionally, but I feel really bad because other people always seem more upset that I am, that like they've always, like, it's, it's raised, it's like, like emotional. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha, it's like, yeah. Oh, okay. It's gone from you being silent to it turns out you were boiling away. There are a lot of people who, um, do you say suffer from sleep apnea or like have sleep apnea who will sleep on the quiet carriages? Because it's quite, it's quite a long trip I have into work. And so you'll have violent snoring and then that snoring where someone pauses and you're like, oh shit, if they stop breathing, 
and then they'll do the come back to life hyper snore. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And no so I never shush them because you feel like they're going to die fairly soon and you like this is the only rest they must be getting and you're like you just live your best life. But I had the most awkward kind of um, quiet carriage shushing recently because especially when it's like um, young or middle-aged men who are fairly confident about the way they move through the world, generally it's a game of bluff. Um, and this one was challenging because it was two like fairly confident, settled young men who are who have like a, a, a very pronounced physical presence and are very you know about their physical presence and sort of imposing themselves on the space. And so I come in and I'm like, oh, and the way I, the way I often do it in these is like you, you almost like involuntary have this body language of like, oh, excuse me, gents, sorry to interrupt. Um, if it's all right, you just on you've, you've just chosen the quiet carriage. So firstly. I'm not here to like confront anyone. I'm apologizing for interrupting. <laughs> and I'm saying you've chosen the quiet carriage of like, so you've made the decision <laughs> to come on here. So it's like we're just setting everything in place to be mm-hmm. like, you've made the decision mm-hmm. to be here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is entirely your fault. You've you've created this scenario. <laughs> um, having created this scenario, you've got lots of choices available to you. Um and so you sort of go, it'd be great if you were happy either to sort of speak a bit more quietly or, or, or not at all on this carriage or just continue on a different carriage if that's if that's all right. And this is the most challenging one because they were like, oh, sorry, mate, completely get it, 100%. And I was like, okay, cool, cool. <laughs> and so like back I go to like the other end of the carriage, sit down and start trying to do some work. And they just start talking again at the same volume. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the worst kind of problem because it's like, okay, I've now spent, like I've now shot my one shot because like I, I'm not going to escalate beyond having an awkward conversation. And they're obviously aware that like what am I going to do? Like get violent about a quiet carriage or something. And it's just deeply frustrating because you're like, okay, because they're like, oh, yeah, 100% get it, man. That's completely fair. And Shag, so my most recent quiet carriage interaction was not the stunning end-to-end victory that I normally enjoy. So just a humbling experience. Uh, You've got to have a bit of yin with that yang. Peach, okay, you are my hero for even being able to do that. And in a way, to your point, that's not about escalating the situation or making it you know, a, an emotionally fraught situation, just mm. sort of saying, hey, this is where we're at. You've chosen to do something. I, I do love your loyalty thing where it's like, you're at fault here. Like what's very clear <laughs> is your, there's no one's denying that. Yeah. But, but, okay. So you get asked about very specific things in this podcast. Mm. One of the other things that happens within this podcast is we get assigned friendship homework yes. from people who listen. It happens quite a bit, right? Yes. And 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 we love it, right? Friendship homework is not a bad thing. Friendship homework is just when people who you know and love ask you to consume something. Because they care about your views. Because they care about you and they want to know what you think about it. And yeah. it's friendship homework because it still does need some sort of work on your behalf, right? Mm. It's kind of like, I really liked this. I'd like you to go and watch this thing or listen to this thing. And report back. That's that's the other thing. Basically, yeah, yeah. basically, in our case, it's like, and I'd love you to cover this film on our podcast. It happens mm. quite a bit. And and I try to get to them because it's, it's really good 
often it's really good like content ideas, right? Mm. So there's this one film that a couple of people have been asking us to cover for a while, mainly because it has a final scene and the way everybody says it to us is basically like, I need to know what you guys and probably mainly what Peach thinks about Ugh. the final scene of this film. It's completely wild. Do we have it on YouTube? Am I going to be watching it today? I don't think I don't think you need to. I can describe it pretty yeah, well. Okay. I can describe it pretty well. Um, it also kind of relates to what you were saying before about young blokes imposing themselves on the world in a way mm. that's not really wanted. That is a hundred percent what today's film is about. So, Peach, today we are doing a 2022 A24 British folk horror from Alex Garland, a horror director I don't think we've covered what? yet. So, so I'm super excited to be. Is to... he even a horror director? Oh, Did I yeah. say that. 28 days later, 28 weeks later. That's right. Annihilation, X Machina. I mean, X Machina is borderline, but still. Because he did The Beach. Like, did- that's, 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 that's where I know him from. Do you remember the All Saints song? Oh, what they called All Saints? I don't I think, think he did the- do The Beach. Take me to The because Beach. Because not, it's not in his filmography. I think that's somebody Maybe else. Maybe he wrote the novel. Let me see. Alex Garland, Wikipedia. Are you sure? Let, I'm going to look up dun, the beach. Dun, dun, dun. He directed Dread. <laughs> oh, Danny Boyle. Oh, so sorry. He wrote, he wrote The Beach that was a novel. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because I thought Danny Boyle directed 28 Days Later. That's right, and Sunshine. So he wrote 28 Days Later, wrote Sunshine. Right. Yes, that's what's going on. How? Uh, what? A, anyway, so this... This man has been... I don't want to get too, too distracted on Alex Garland, but <laughs> did you know that, like, he wanted to have um, Ewan McGregor in the beach that Danny Boyle was going to direct? They were like, we've done Shallow Grave, we've done Train Spotting, we've done movie that we always talk about, I can't believe whose name I've just forgotten, with Cameron Thingo, amazing soundtrack, Lifeless Ordinary. We've done Lifeless Ordinary, Shallow Grave, Train Spotting with Ewan McGregor and Danny Boyle. And they were going to do Ewan McGregor playing the lead character in The Beach that you might remember as a sort of holiday in Southeast Asia gone wrong type scenario. And Leonardo DiCaprio was like, no, nah, I really like that book and um, I'll bring the funding with me. And so <laughs> apparently Alex Garland and Danny Boyle were like, yeah, sorry, Ewan McGregor. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking best of luck. <laughs> See, like that. That's my, that's my Alex Garland goss. But, Shag, sorry, I'm so sorry to get sidetracked. No, that was, uh, look, that was good. It was, a, it was a fun rabbit hole. Sometimes I like, <laughs> no, but that is what a rabbit hole sounds like. We mm. just described in a minute or two mm. the sound of an internet rabbit hole that would have taken a lot longer. We are a bit of a hyperlinked podcast, aren't we? Like, we sort of do click on the blue, click on the blue link a little bit. We get sidetracked in a very online way. But anyway, mm. back to the film at yes. hand. Today, Peach. We're doing a 2022 A24 British folk horror film from Alex Garland, simply called Men. Just to get sidetracked again, there, like there's like a Bugsy Malone song called Men that he's done two sequels to. It's that's also really cool. <laughs> so it's called Men and then Men 2 and Men 3. I just got to confirm this Men 3, Bugsy Malone. <laughs> Bugsy Malone. <laughs> yeah, Men 3 is probably the best. I give it 10 out of 10. This is a really good flashback episode. Yeah, I'm sorry to keep like to keep to keep going for these spooko deep cuts. Uh, men, let me go and do it. Until you give your love, there's nothing more that we can do. Apple from the garden? Yeah, it was delicious. No, 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 mustn't do that. Forbidden fruit. Oh, 
God, sorry, I... I I'm I, joking. I... Oh. <laughs> You're tormented. It feels more like... Haunted. Yeah. Something happened. My husband went upstairs to our balcony and let himself go. You must wonder why you drove him to it. I, I didn't drive him to it. I thought it'd be true. But if you had given him the chance to apologize, he'd still be alive. What? A man followed me out of the woods. He was stalking me. What makes you say that? I saw him twice. Twice? I don't know if he saw you once. Come on, play a game. You hide, I'll see. You must feel an awful sense of guilt. Stay away from me. Like, that looks sick. But also, in the Bugsy Malone song, here's the best <laughs> bar I've ever heard, Shaggy. <laughs> which is about haters where he goes, they haven't really said it till they've said it to your face. Which I think is such a great tough guy thing to say. I'm like, yeah, man, talk as much as you want. They haven't really said it till they've said it to your face. And I'm just like, oh, Bugsy Malone. Why doesn't anyone like Bugsy Malone? There are 11 million views on that song, Shag. No I mean, one has heard of it. No one, you're so right. No one cares. I don't know why. <laughs> I love Bugsy Malone so much. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about men because mm. we've spoken about one of the coolest things about horror as a genre, and there are so many cool things, but one of the mm. coolest things is the titles do what they say. The titles are very yes. descriptive about what happens in the film, right? Like in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there's a Guess what? Chainsaw Massacre in Texas, right? Spooko Studios has got bloody slippery dip and <laughs> like spiky latte or rusty latte coming rusty, up. Like, <laughs> rusty latte, right? So what I think so clever about men is you mm. hear that and obviously men are going to be the bad guy, but I guess the main hook of this film, the cleverness of this film that you've already seen in that trailer mm. is British character actor Rory Kinnear plays almost every role, but just in different makeup and with a different wig. Amazing. And and he's a different person in all of those roles, but he's the same person. And it's entirely chilling. It's the coolest thing ever. Amazing. No, even just conceptually... You know how some horror films just have a hook, just like, oh, he kills you in your dreams. And you're like, mm, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, like, it's so true. <laughs> yeah, It's yeah. so true. That's just a great idea. You can do cool stuff in horror. Yep. Horror has titles that describe what they are. It's endlessly creative. Yep. Nightmare on Elm Street, guess what it's about? <laughs> it even says the street. It's literally like, it's not on fucking Marshall Street. It's not on Princess Avenue. It's not on George Street. It's on fucking Elm Street is where the nightmares happen. Yep. <laughs> Come fucking find me. Let's go. They haven't really said it to listen to your face. Let's All right. Go. Okay. <laughs> so, following the apparent suicide of her husband, James, and it's apparent because this film is told 
not chronologically. What's the opposite of chronologically? Unchronologically. Uh, surely there is a word, but I completely agree that I cannot put my hand out of order. It, this, yeah, this film is told out of order, right? So mm. we slowly see bits of the past, but because it's... Pulp, we, pulp, pulp fiction style. Yeah, like that had a word, didn't it? Yeah, yeah word. Sorry, non, I, like non-linearly. Mm, non-linear, well done. Bravo. And we slowly get to understand this woman's backstory as the film progresses. But obviously this is Wikipedia and they have to reform a film into a very short synopsis. So we're getting a lot of detail at the start of this synopsis that we don't get until a little bit into the film. But anyway, following the apparent suicide of her husband, James Harper Marlowe decides to spend a holiday alone in the small village of Cotson. And Cotson is like, the most English village I've ever seen in my life. And I think it's supposed to be. It's very green. Cobbles. Looks like Midsummer Murders. Yeah, 100%. Really. Like, you know, it's got a it's got a pub and a chapel as like the two centerpieces of the town. It's where Hot Fuzz was set, essentially. Ba- basically, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In flashbacks, it is revealed that Harper, fed up with James's emotional abuse and manipulation, intended to divorce him. Now, what's really interesting about this couple as well, and what I think smart about this film is often with films that are about DV and familial abuse, Mm. there's like a class layer. They're lower class or they're uneducated or what have you, right? Mm. This couple is clearly super rich. They're like on the Thames. They've got a view of the gherkin or the pickle or the whatever the fuck that giant building is Mm. in London. And they're both super well-spoken. Like it's clear that they're a couple that have money and come from if not privilege at least wealth yeah like have you know like have money and education right mm. which is nice because it's not then an excuse or an explainer for the dv hugely great so harper wanted to divorce her husband james causing an explosive argument between the two where we see him basically exhibit sort of violent behavior that's not as yet towards her, but very, very shouty, very sudden, very throwing things around the room, kind of scary. And then he declares that he will die by suicide should she ever leave him. And she's like, you can't say that. And he's like, it's not a threat. It's just the truth. And you'll just have to deal with it. If you leave me, I will kill myself. And that will be your fault. It's not my area of expertise. I think, Shag, you know more about this than I do, but I understand that to be a a pattern of conduct that arises in, in DV type scenarios. A hundred percent. Especially with male female relationships. A hundred percent. It's just about control. And yeah, okay. it's 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 the worst kind of manipulation. Anyway. <clears throat> disturbed by James's behavior, Harper leaves the room and quietly attempts to text a friend that she feels unsafe. James suddenly reappears, rips Harper's phone away from her and reads her text messages. And then the phone locks and he's like, unlock this phone for me. She's like, I won't, it's my phone. James becomes violently angry and punches her in the face. And the implication is this is the first time this has happened. Not mm. that that's important, but like that's mm. implication, right? Like it's an escalation. Yes. It's been an escalation and it's made it to this moment. James immediately begins to apologize, but Harper goes, just goes incredibly angry, like incre- like understandably, but incredibly angry mm. and basically is like, get the fuck out. You will never see me again. Get out of this flat. I don't care what happens to you. I don't care if you kill yourself because you're never going to see me again and locks him out of the flat. Awesome. She then witnesses him from the window of this very expensive apartment fall past and then land downstairs partially impaled on a metal fence 
outside her flat. Pull one out. I can't remember where this happens in the film, but I remember thinking it's quite odd and quite different mm. that the film shows his body. Like, we often see people fall to their death in films. We don't usually see the aftermath. But we see his body. He snapped one of his feet sort of backwards. His arm is, like, comp- like impaled, but impaled lengthways like so over it sort of comes sort of like parallel to his yeah, forearm right right and so it's sort of like yeah. sticking out he's like a bit of his head is missing and we can see brain and the camera really lingers on his dead body and she goes outside and just stares at it yep harper arrives at an old beautiful country manor house remember so there's there's the past and the present in this we're movie. jumping in time we expect this to be three months six months like some sort of juicy amount of time there's there's been time and this trip is for her to sort of reclaim herself mm. and she arrives in an old beautiful country manor house that she's renting she finds an apple tree outside and takes an apple and starts to eat it in the garden then goes inside and is welcomed by the landlord, Jeffrey, the first character played by Rory Kinnear. Fucking Brit, like, this guy is a very good actor. Right, right. The like, amount of menace he injects into your goofy landlord. I, I don't know how you nominate someone like this for an award because he's playing multiple roles, but he really should win something for this. So um, you're aware Alexi Toliopoulos, an, an occasional guest of ours, hosts Total Reboot. And every episode they give an Oscar for, for character acting. And <laughs> presumably this guy walks out with all of them. Uh, go listen to Total Reboot. Go watch Finding Yeezus as well. Finding Yeezus on YouTube. Go find it now. Actually, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. Um, mm. One of the many uh, amazing things that the guests of Spooko do. Stunning. So Jeffrey seems normal. Is slightly odd. Very old-fashioned sort of country man. He gives her a tour of the house and they have an awkward exchange about Harper's marital status because he's basically like, where's your husband? You applied for this as Mrs. And she sort of implies that husband's out of the picture, but obviously doesn't explain anymore. He gives her a large key for the front door of the house, but tells her the people don't tend to lock their doors in the village. (laughs) It's it's a good setup. Can I actually say, can I actually say, this is the scariest film I've watched in a while. And I watched this with Adele and both of us were properly like holding hands on the couch together, reaching out for each other, heads under the blanket, sort of like peering through Mm -hmm. fingers, proper scary. This is chilling. Harper later goes for a walk in the woods and stumbles upon an old disused railway tunnel. Finding that it produces an echo, there's this kind of lovely moment. It probably goes for a couple of minutes where she experiments using her voice to produce different pitches and tonalities with the tunnels and kind of creates a bit of a melody. So it's like, sick, sick. So it's like a, like a horror movie minor key. Like, right. Yeah, and it's, it's beautiful. Right. And it becomes yeah. like, yeah, almost becomes the soundtrack for the film. Right. Mm. It's an extremely long tunnel. She's sort of enjoying just being out in nature, feeling free. And then at the very end of the tunnel, we can just make out a figure stand up. Oh, who's obviously been there the whole time. Yeah, right, okay. who's obviously been there. The, now, the tunnel's pitch black, so we can just see a figure, and it's so far away, we can just see this figure stand up. The figure then screams, and then the scream obviously reverberates through the echoing tunnel as well. Oh, God. Yeah, okay. And then fucking starts bolting straight at her. Like, we cannot see this figure. All we can see is that this figure is running towards Harper. 
Oh, God. Yeah, okay. So Harper freaks out and runs back the way she came, but because she would just went for a walk in the forest, she kind of loses track of where she is, and after clambering up a large embankment, she escapes the woods and finds herself in some disused buildings in a large open field at the end of the forest. She, like, as people do, I think she gets to a point where she's like, oh, okay, that was a bit weird, but, you know, it's, like, I'm well, in the yeah, forest. Yeah, you would. You'd be like, yeah, that was a bit creepy. That was a bit but, creepy, yeah. but now I'm out in the open, I'm fine. Mm. She turns around, she's like, that's actually a really cool shot, gets out her phone, takes a photo, and then after taking the photo, she lowers her phone and immediately sees the man that was chasing her. He's a bald naked man with cuts all across his body staring eerily back at her among the deserted buildings just standing there completely naked so we're zooming in on the photo so like we're seeing that in the photo or we're seeing that she in looked life. in the photo yeah. but then she notices in the photo and then she looks up and she realizes in real life probably you know 50 meters away oh god there's this naked man standing there just watching her <sighs> harper returns quickly to the manor now, later that afternoon, during a video call with her friend Riley. Now, there aren't that many actors in this film. There's Harper. There's her. There's James. Yeah. There's James, obviously. There is her friend Riley. And there's Rory mm. Kinnear playing multiple roles. Everyone. Yeah. Later that afternoon, during a video call with her friend Riley, Harper sees. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. All oh, right. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. So, she has her AirPods in, is sitting at a table, doing some work. And she is in, like, I guess, the sort of glass-walled kitchen of this manor, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, And she's on a phone call with Riley. She has her AirPods in. They're probably noise-canceling, so she can't hear anything. <clears throat> the naked man just slowly walks behind her and, like, peers into the glass and notices her. It's Rory Kinnear, of course. Right, but, it's Rory but, Kinnear, yeah, right? Yeah. Rory Kinnear, again, is playing this strange naked wood mm. man. Riley's like, go on then, take me on a tour of the house. And so she slowly takes a tour of the house all the way, just constantly missing this naked man appearing at different windows, peering in, looking at her in the house. This moment was so fucked. This is one of the scariest things I've seen in a long time in a film. It was amazing. So you know I'm moving to a more rural place, don't you, with lots of windows? Yeah, okay. I don't think I can watch this one. Eventually, as she's going around giving the tour, she notices that he is standing by the apple tree and takes an apple from that same apple tree and eats it. She's like, oh, fuck, goes to the front door, closes it, and his hand comes through the, like, the letter slot oh, trying God. to grab her. She's like, fuck, fuck. She calls the police. She's like, there's a man. He's stalking me. He's in the front yard. He's naked. They're like, stay on the line. They're also a bit of, like, horror movie, a bit annoying. They're like, like yeah, yeah, okay. so how do you spell the town you're in? And what's yeah. annoying, they're like, spell the town you're in, but then they're like, actually, we've got a police car nearby. It's like, well, you probably knew how to spell, and also it's Coxon. Like, fucking spell Coxon. There's, yep. There aren't too many ways. Like, maybe it's an E-N or an A-N, sure. But it's not, it's not going to start with a K. It's an English village. It's Coxon. Anyway, yep. it's annoying, but anyway. The the officers arrive, and one of the arresting officers looks like Jeffrey, again, played by Rory Kinnear, but the other is a friendly female police officer who reassures Harper that it was, it, like, it, I know it seems super scary, but he was probably just a homeless man looking for food. He didn't put up any sort of fight 
when he was arrested, they just let him be arrested. And he was probably just sheltering in that train tunnel. You spooked him. He, you know, like effectively yeah, it's it's a little bit of victim blaming. Trying to give the logical explanation to Yerk. Yeah, it's a logical explanation. It's a little bit of victim blaming. And it's also like kind of not, you have no right to be scared, but you were being a bit silly. It's fine. He's mm. just a, he's just a crazy old man. Even though he's Rory Kinnear, who's not an old man. Yeah. By, by any, and, and he has, again, like when we get a close look at him, he has these crisscrossed wounds, cuts all over his body that, are probably self-inflicted. <laughs> and the police are like, crazy old man. Classic. Yeah, he's probably having to sleep in the train. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Afterwards, Harper visits a church where we notice there's a font at the front. Now, I had to look this up because I didn't quite know. I didn't have the language for what these are called. But you remember growing up in... This is a bowl of uh, holy water. Well, yeah, bowl of holy water. Yeah, exactly. That they have at the front where... Yeah. Where, where they do... Uh, christenings? Christenings. Where they do christenings, mm. right? Mm. But this font, instead of having, you know, markings of biblical scenes, has British pagan scenes on it. So on one side, Sick. there's the green man. Now, I, like, I, I did the most basic Wikipedia w- research, but the green man is a figure that shows up in a lot of British pagan mm. uh, 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 environments. And, and every tenth English pub is called either the Green Man or the Rose and Crown. <laughs> they're just the two, the two things you could call. But English then pubs. they're also called like the Cock and Balls and stuff. Like they're actually, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah and you're yeah, always yeah. like, why does it? Hit? Like, does nobody know that this this is called this? But anyway, yeah. so the Green Man is a. They're not a hundred percent sure, but they think he represents sort of rebirth and fertility, even though it's a man. Again, this film is saying a lot of things without saying them directly. Yeah. Um, but on the other side is Sheila Nargig, which is another figure that shows up in British pagan iconography. Mm. She has a very clear vulva that she that she pulls open, mm. and and often like a clitoris as well. People are undecided about what it means, but they do think it's a bit of like a warning against lust. So again, it's like the man somehow represents fertility. The woman represents why lust is bad. Like it, it's, yeah, it, it, it's making a very pointed comment in this film, mm. but I actually didn't know that. Like, it's just, it's just very creepy. It's and, but it's also a really great moment where you're like, I didn't know what this film was going to be about, but it's a British folk horror film, which is one of my favorite genres ever. Completely agree. And I do love the way they dress them because like kill list or whatever, was British folk horror dressed right. up as something else? Right, so, right. Yep. Like I like the fact that they don't reveal it in the in the in the trailer. It's yep. It takes a lot to keep that aside, so it's great. Anyway, I guess it's almost the apples, like little sort of thematic whispers. Mm. Yeah, interesting. So she cries, remembering James's death, but like properly howls. Like has has a moment where she like some of those recollections we have <clears throat> at the top of this Wikipedia synopsis happen here. And she has quite a violent reaction in this church to be like, everything that's been put upon her is just so fucked. And she essentially has to deal with it on her own. Anyway, outside she meets a mask-wearing young boy with Rory Kinnear's face. So good. And he's completely fucked. He's like, you want to play hide? So I, I don't mean this effect, but he's like that that British boy, right? Like that scary British boy. British, British children are really scary. <laughs> so scary. They're, they're the scariest things in the world. Like when I like when I grew up, it was okay to walk barefoot to places. Like it just it just was. And when I was 18, I lived in the UK and I walked barefoot down to the local shop 
And this like group of like nine or ten year olds, you know, like, oh, where the fuck are your shoes, mate? <laughs> a good friend of mine graham grew up in liverpool and tells the story of how there were certain parts of liverpool where like there would be these groups of like scary kids and if you saw them it was like a horror movie you were fucked no matter what because if you don't engage with them then they follow and they engage with you but if you engage with them then they engage with you and you follow them it's like and so you'd see these groups of kids and you'd be like Ah, oh, for fuck's sake, <laughs> like, I've got nothing. Anyway, so he is a scary British teenager, quite young, probably like 12 or 13, mm. wearing a mask. And he's basically like, you want to play hide and seek? And she's like, uh, no, no, I do not want to play hide and seek. And he's basically like, oh, you bitch sort of thing. Like, it's, you know, really aggressive. And this vicar appears and he's basically like, go home. And he's like, but this bitch. And he's like, mm-hmm, yeah, well, I'll fuck you. Like, sort of speaks back to him in kind, like replace it to him in kind. And the boy eventually leaves. So it's not a great holiday, I've got to say. It's not a great holiday. <laughs> like, and she had good. so many chances to leave and she doesn't. But anyway, so the vicar's like, why don't we go have a seat and let's. Yeah, I, I don't want to victim blame because the point of it is to get over something pretty traumatic. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's just not, it's not, it's not a relaxing break. I don't know if you can have a great relaxing break after your abusive husband committed suicide. Completely accept that. But, but even then, <laughs> but even you... then, <laughs> it's like she could have gone to like fucking Fiji. She yep. could have been sipping a cocktail yep. and having these recollections at least while getting a massage mm. or snorkeling. Rory Kinnear in brown face. Is like, <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Anyway, okay. So, 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 so. The, the vicar's like, let's go sit a while. I saw you in the church. I should have said something because I, I could see you're in pain. I didn't, but I'm going to do it now. Why don't we go and chat? And she goes and follows him and sits down. She discusses James's death with the vicar, saying that she feels haunted by it, and she believes he looked at her during his fall. She wonders if that is possible since the fall was so quick. The vicar suggests that Harper might be partially to blame for James's death, because she didn't allow him to apologize for punching her and then puts his hand on her knee in a way that it's in focus. Like I like cinematography is an art that I don't a hundred percent understand, but the way that the, the hand is in focus, but everything else is in focus, but we, our eyes are drawn to the hand. So we see one of his fingers just move in a way that just feels very creepy. She is like, fuck this, stands up and is like, I don't need this. I'm going back to the manor. But as she's going back, she's like, you know what? I'm going to go to this pub. Like, I'm going to have a, a holiday. Like, I'm like, she on the call with Riley as well, she actually says, she's like, no, I'm just sick of being afraid. I'm sick of being controlled. Like, even if this yeah. situation is scary, I'm going to force myself into it and not let men control me. Anyway, she goes into the pub. There's a couple of like 20-something dudes who are super scary who are both Rory Kinnear. There is Jeffrey who's at the bar doing a crossword. He's the landlord. Yeah. Yeah, okay. There's, yep. there's the bar person. There's the barman who's Rory Kinnear as well. Um, is there any comedy in this? Are we sort of enjoying that it's all Rory Kinnear? No, like, it's fucking scary as hell. Yeah, okay. It's scary and threatening. And in fact, you know, when we get to actually analysing what this film is about, mm. you'll see that you know, critics and obviously menonists who uh, are like, well, it just says that all men are bad. But what it's actually saying is th th these experiences of different men doing things 
aren't isolated. It's part of a culture. Oh, I find this to be very, very eloquent way to make that point. Like, I must say, I'm finding this pretty impressive. Right, right, right. Mm. Anyway, so he refers to Harper as Mrs. Marlowe before addressing her as Ms. and insists on paying for her drink. And she's like, no, I want to pay for a drink. And he's like, no, 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 your money's no good here. I'm going to pay for it. Just all these little moments that are just mm. awful, right? The policeman then arrives. Remember the Rory Kinnear policeman uh, and buys a beer. And he basically says almost like she's not there, but noticing she's there because Mr. Because Jeffrey's like, oh, did you, you know, like, um, how's it all going? Like, you know, horrible thing that happened at the manor sort of thing. Mm. And then the, the policeman says to the bartender and Jeffrey, not to her. Oh, yeah, we had to let him go an hour ago. And she's like, why? And he's like, well, we couldn't charge him with anything. And she's like, he was stalking me. And he's like, what do you mean stalking me? And she's like, well, I saw him twice. And he's like, well, and sort of laughs. I was like, well, well, call me when he's actually stalking you, okay? Sort of <laughs> yeah. thing, right? Like, she's like, fuck this. She's going to go home. Mm. It's now dark outside. And she doesn't see this, but we see that the naked man in the distance follows her in the background, appearing from behind a tree in the cemetery. It's scary as hell. She doesn't know that's happening. She goes home. She contacts Riley about the day's developments. And she's like, I'm going to go home. This is ridiculous. Yeah. And Riley's basically like, fuck that. This is your holiday. I'm going to drive down. Tell me the address. And every time Harper tries to tell Riley address, the phone signal cuts out. And she has to call her again. Sick, and it sick, does this sick, thing sick, where sick. it doesn't just cut out. Like, it sort of glitches into an image of Riley screaming for her life before it cuts out. Fabulous. She then notices the policeman is in her garden and just staring at her. She goes outside and is like, oh, has there been any developments? And he doesn't say anything. And she's like what are you doing here? He doesn't say anything. And then the automatic lights, because you know automatic lights don't stay on forever. They switch off and it's complete uh, darkness. They go back on and he's gone. Uh, then she looks from another direction of the gardens mm. and one of those scary 20-something patrons is just running at her, like running oh, at God. the front door. Yeah, okay. And so she retreats into the house and closes the door. She picks up a knife to defend herself before a window breaks in the kitchen. She's hiding behind the kitchen island and she sees one of the chairs of the kitchen fall over and she's just fucking screaming, right? Like absolutely screaming. Jeffrey arrives and is like, I heard breakage, what's happened? And finds a crow on the ground. And he's like, oh, that must have been what happened. A crow got in. And she's like, no, 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 the policeman was outside. He's like, what are you talking about? Why would the policeman be outside? Basically, it's it's everything, right? Yeah. It's victim blaming. It's not believing gaslighting, her. Yeah. It's gaslighting. It's the whole thing. <clears throat> As Jeffrey goes into the garden to check for any would-be intruders, he too disappears when the lights go out and the lights go back on. And then we see the naked man is super close to her. He now has... Now, now this, this wasn't in Wikipedia, but at some point... <clears throat> We saw him in his cave cut a new slit on his face and insert a leaf in there. When we see him now, he started to have more leaves on his face. He sort of puts his hand in front of his mouth. He's got like kind of like dandelion spores or something and blows them into her face. 
Green Man style. Yep. Green Man style. He starts walking towards Harbour and she goes into a trance, sort of walks back into the house, closes the door, but is a bit like, doesn't really know what's going on. Like, is it's just a bit out of it. It's still scary, but she's out of it. <clears throat> he follows her. He reaches through the letterbox in the front door and grabs Harper's hand. And she's sort of in a trance. So she sort of reaches down to his hand <clears throat> and then he grabs it really threateningly. So she takes <clears throat> the knife, stabs his arm right through it. And so then the, the green man just slowly retracts his hand through the letterbox but obviously the knife is there and so at about sort of halfway down his forearm the knife completely splits his hand into until he basically has a sort of almost like a claw thing basically so the knife basically splits his entire forearm into and he has these two dangling claws both the boy and the vicar appear mm. in the house in turn. First of all, the boy had put the mask on the crow. And now the boy has this, the boy has the injured arm too. Yeah, okay. So the boy's like, the boy's like, you hurt me. Why did you hurt me so much? So we're all the green man now. Yeah, yeah okay. are you trying to hurt me? And then she goes into the bathroom, but the vicar appears. Mm. And the vicar also has the the hurt arm. And the vicar basically attempts to like sexually assault her. And it's basically like, because of you, I've thought of you in all these like sexual acts and it's your fault. Like this is the power you hold over me. Harper asks what the vicar is. And he replies a swan and proceeds to quote some lines of unexplained poetry. The vicar attempts to molest Harper, but she stabs him in the stomach and leaves the house while attempting to drive away. So Harper finally gets in the car and drives away, but she accidentally runs over Jeffrey. And despite the fact that Adele and I were screaming at the screen, she stops to check on him. We then realize Jeffrey also has the split arm. And in a rage, he throws Harper out of the car and drives away, circles back around and chases Harper in the car before crashing the car into a stone wall in front of the house. Harper tries to retreat into the house, until the naked man now fully transformed into the green man. Like his face is like the proper folk creature horror, but still completely naked approaches Harper. His ankle now severely broken, matching what James's corpse looked like. And remember James's arm was impaled on the, the railing as well. So that hand actually matches James as well. So the green man matches James's injuries from his fall. Now, this is the moment where everybody was like, we need to know what you and by extension Peach thinks about this. And I'm also curious to hear what you think about it. Because for me, this moment actually, like I found the rest of the movie way scarier and probably disturbing than this moment. And in fact, it reminds me of a film we've covered with Alexi Toliopoulos. I'm keen to hear what you think. But anyway, so. Does it remind you of society? Wait, 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 wait. So. The naked green man's belly starts to grow bulbous to a point where we're like, hang on, is he, is he pregnant? And then underneath his penis, a vagina is revealed and a head pushes its way out of the vagina and he gives birth to (laughs) one of the other Rory Kinnear. So what happens now is I guess each one of these Rory Kinnears comes to life in agony 
grows a belly, grows a vagina on a part of their body. Like at first it's, you know, it's in the perineum, then it's in the, um, then it's in the belly button. One of them has the vagina appears in their mouth. So the birth happens through their mouth, but basically each one of them gives birth to one of the Rory Kinnears, right? So it was the naked man, you know, it's the vicar, it's the little boy, it's the, it's the, it's the cop. There's just this chain of births that happen until eventually they give birth to, to her husband, James. Yeah. Harper grabs an axe that was seen by the fireplace in an earlier scene. Yes, Chekhov's axe. James arrives and he is naked and broken and completely weak. And it's a really interesting point that Alex made in an interview where he was like, in most horror films, at the climax, the antagonist or the monster gets stronger and stronger. I thought it'd be <clears> interesting <throat> to create a monster that got weaker and weaker. And so from the, the from the scary green man, it's basically become this pathetic naked James. Oh, do, do, does each green does each Rory Kinnear die after the birth? Yeah, each one dies after the birth, and then okay. yeah, right. Like so, so eventually just leaves a pathetic James who comes mm. into the room and just sits on the couch. And so like, Harper, fucking fantastic, right, right, right. Horror rules. I love horror. Yeah. I love this genre. Yeah. This is why horror rules. Anyway, Harper's got the axe, but she sits next to James on the couch. James continues to blame her for his death. When Harper, holding the axe, asks what he wants from her, James kind of simply and like slightly pathetically just said, I just wanted your love. She turns away from him, looks out to the distance and goes, yeah. Like, as in, like, oh, okay, yep, yep. Anyway, the next morning, Riley arrives at the house and we notice she's pregnant. She sees the blood trail through the front door. So clearly all of this happened, Okay. right? Yeah. Clearly this actually did happen. Yes. And then she goes around to the back of the house, sees Harper sitting down on the back steps. Yes. Alive. And Riley calls out, Harper, what happened? And Harper looks at her and smiles. And that's the end of Meg. Yes, 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 yes. Jack, that was perfection. Yeah, uh, look, no notes. Uh, we often speak in a sort of negative way about the platform. And I know we keep, we keep coming back to it by taking a metaphor and just brutally, aggressively making it flesh. And I think this has more subtlety and nuance than the platform. Mm. I think this is a really eloquent and complete way um, and quite an empathic way of displaying these risks. Like I remember, um, was it Master of None, that series? Um, With the that, yeah, did, yeah, yeah. that was like, oh, I finally understand the correct view to take about you know, the various issues of the world and just sort of would quite bluntly be like, here's the two boys walking home from the restaurant, duper duper doop, goofy music. Here's the two girls going the same walk. Ooh, scary music. And Aziz is like, you see, I get it. <laughs> and there's something... Um, there's something about wanting to have the cachet of understanding the issues that arises in Master of None that I feel like is more subtly treated here. This is a movie written and directed by a man... And I don't think it is an attempt to do anything other than say, I do my best to get it. And this is what I understand it to be. And I think there's a humility 
and a creativity and a depth of thought to it. I, I'm I'm really impressed. I, I like I think that's so true. And you know, for, I think a better comparison for this film mm. is the TV show Atlanta, Donald Glover's oh, okay. uh, TV show, which is is has gotten increasingly surreal. Mm. But in interviews, he said he just wanted to create a TV show that was about what it felt like to be black, not just in America, but in the world, right? Mm. And he does that not by just showing realistic situations, but by using the surreal mm. techniques you can use in film to bring to life the feelings rather than the exact, mm. you know, uh, re- you know, representations of the, the instances that, that would happen. And this, in the same way in this film, it's incredibly surreal and it uses British pagan history, which I think is really interesting yeah. in a really interesting way. But when I was watching this, Adele made a point when, you know, we were sort of halfway through that it was so scary, particularly for her, because she's like, all of these things, it's like, I've yep. experienced all these things. Yep. Like, all these things happen. These are things mm. that have happened to me, and that's why it's so fucking scary. And so he created a monster of all of these instances, all of these things in the society, the victim blaming, the, mm. the you know, the, the she's crazy, the gaslighting, yep. the, the, the subtle, the very subtle, like, like sexual, like, assault and, and molestation all of all of these things all of these things eventually birthed her husband who was a, eventually turned out to be like a manipulative violent man yep. who at, at the end of the day was pathetic but yep. was not a villain on in his own right but the symptom of a culture and a patriarchy that still exists to this day like it's on on that reading, I think it's a, like a su- supremely successful and deep film. Yeah, I, I'm 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 pretty impressed. I'm sort of cautious about sitting around and applaud and applauding. You know, a few white guys, you know, as two white guys sitting around applauding some white guys <laughs> yeah, for really, really getting it. So that's I'm, a really I'm sort good of one. <laughs> I'm sort of cautious about going too far down that road, and so I'm trying to look at it as something useful to me as someone who's trying to be as constructive as I can, um, as we all sort of struggle to free ourselves from patriarchy. Um, yeah. Noting that I enjoy all the privileges of it. So I'm, I'm going to try to s- s- stay a tiny bit on being like, he's done it. He <laughs> solved it. Alex Garland. Well done. <laughs> Cause I expect a comment like that is going to age very poorly. Yeah. Actually, that's a really good point, but I think it's a pretty constructive contribution to <laughs> To the discourse. The, 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 the oeuvre. Oh, so much better than the beach. And imagine if Leo DiCaprio had been playing all the different characters. But I think the important thing is, what do you think Bugsy Malone thought about it? Shag, you wouldn't have told him until you'd said it to its face. <laughs> uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can, as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?